This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, we're, the title of today's message is Like Clay in His Hands. And I want you to see an analogy that the Scripture is very clear in these, both of these passages in Isaiah that really we are clay in His hands. It's amazing how the Old Testament and the New Testament both gives very practical illustrations that were common to the people. And sometimes we have to dig through the background and the history and all of that. Uh, but God really wants to clearly communicate to his people. And so he gave them an analogy that is easy for the people of that day to understand. And it will be easy for us to understand also, even though we have to work through the text just a little bit. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 15 and 16. It says, Woe to those who go to great depths, to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? He did not make me. Can the pot say of the potter? He knows nothing. Now let's go to Isaiah 45. 45, and we're going to start in verse 9. Isaiah 45, starting in verse 9. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. To him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. You might ask, what is a potsherd? A potsherd is a broken piece that is now unusable. Does a clay say to the potter, we're still in verse 9, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Ten, woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that in this time together, Lord, that you would do your work. We know the Word of God will do its work. And God, you had a reason for us together right now in this 1115 service. And so, Lord, we are asking you to do your work, to bring clarity, to bring direction. And Lord, may we be stronger in our faith and more submitted to you because of the Word of God this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Earlier this week, I heard an infomercial about the Holocaust, and it caught my attention, and I discovered that just a few days ago on January 27th was the International Holocaust Day, as declared by the United Nations. All United Nations countries are supposed to recognize the Holocaust, and as I looked into that more, we have a different day here in America. The Jewish Jewish people, they have a particular holiday that remembers this, but it is so important that we do remember, as our World War II generation is passing on so important that we remember the horrors of the holocaust i want you to think about this number six million six million jews were exterminated under the nazi regime and i just want to say as a pastor and as an american that's one of the main reasons that i vigorously support the nation of israel and we should support the nation of israel as a church to have a haven a haven for people for the Jewish people. So one of the stories that came out of the Holocaust that is so dear to all of us is this, is the story of Anne Frank. And Anne Frank kept a diary, and in this diary 
she documented and shared all the experiences to us about how in 1942, when her and her family were in Amsterdam, that they went into hiding in her father's office. They, 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 their family and another family both were sequestered for over two years. They were hid away and they were, they were saved for a time. Unfortunately, seven months after Anne Frank's capture, she did die in a Nazi concentration camp. But that horrible story reminds me of a hiding place. I don't know if there was ever a more effective hiding place than the one that Anne Frank had been in. Anne Frank lets us know that you can hide, but unfortunately for her, you can't hide forever. So whether it's Eric Rudolph hiding from the FBI in the mountains of North Carolina, whether it's Bernie Madoff who's hiding from his investors all the losses that were happening, or whether it's just a child who's playing hide-and-go-seek, here's the truth. You can only hide for so long. You can only hide for so long. And this passage makes it very clear that as we are imagining ourselves as clay, there's some things we can't do. If you're taking notes, I want you to take your bulletin, and on the back of your bulletin is an outline that you can follow. And here's the first blank I want you to fill in. As clay, we cannot hide from God. We cannot hide from Him and what He wants to do. Here, the prophet is denouncing God's people because they think that they can hide from God what their secret plans are. Can I tell you this, that there is nothing you can hide from God. I knew of a man one time that for ten years he hid a fact that he was planning to divorce his wife as soon as his youngest child graduated from high school. And for ten years he didn't take communion because he was secretly planning to, do, to sin and to do something wrong. And unfortunately, I wish that story was uncommon, but I've heard of it happening many, many times again. And here's the truth. You can hide from your spouse. And you can hide your heart from your pastor. And you can hide it from the religious establishment. You can hide it from the closest person to you, but you can never hide your intentions and your plans from the Lord. He knows exactly what you're planning. He knows exactly what you have planned in your heart. And if we're going to compare ourselves to clay in his hands, one thing we need to realize, we can't hide from God. And I just want to encourage you that if you are secretly hiding sin in your life, or if you are secretly hiding a plan to sin in the future, or if you just have a plan that you haven't submitted to the Lord, can you let his light shine in your heart today? And know that without him, without him, we have no plans that will endure no plans according to His will. See, a lot of times we do this. A lot of times is we make a, a, our plans and then we want God to bless them. And He say, God, this is our plan. Lord, please bless this. Lord, be involved in this now. But the problem is this, is at the front end, we don't even make plans with His counsel. We, we, we live our lives, and I do this too, very arrogantly, as if we can make any plan we want to and God is obligated to bless it and God is obligated to endorse it and to be with us. No, we don't make our plans and include God. He is our plan. He is the reason we plan. He is the beginning. He's the middle. He is the plan. And so every single area of our life, He's the plan. You know, my six-year-old boy, he is a, a really small guy. He 
for his age, uh, had low muscle tone as a baby, so he, he's a little bit behind physically from the other kids, but he has the loudest, most authoritative voice you've ever heard. And it was as if God wanted to make this illustration today because early this morning we were having worship practice. He was back in that corner of the sanctuary, and I kid you not, he was yelling at his brother, and it stopped the band. Y'all heard how loud this band was a few minutes ago. His little voice stopped the band. And when we play neighborhood football, we play with some of the kids here in the church that live in the neighborhood, and, and me and a couple of the men in the church, we, we play when it's warmer. And here it is. He's playing with these fifth and sixth grade kids and adults like myself. But Lincoln is in charge. By the power of his voice, he is telling people, it's your turn. Get on that team. And he's just screaming. And it is hilarious to watch. It is hilarious to watch this kid because he's so tiny and he's so small, but yet he's using his voice and he's bossing bigger people around and he's telling them where to go and what to do. And it's just cute and absurd and funny at the same time. But, you know, a lot of us try to be like Lincoln with the Lord. We are trying to tell him what to do. We're trying to boss him around. We're trying to give him instructions. And when you're 34 years old or, 30, or 48 or 60 years old, it's not so cute when you use your voice that way. We try to tell God what to do. In the next blank, I want you to write this word. It's a word we don't use a lot, but it's a very effective word. That's clay we can't deride God. Deride God. I, I thought of a lot of different words that we could have used right there. But to deride means to laugh, to scorn, to show contempt, to scoff, to jeer. And that's exactly what the people were doing to God when they were questioning Him. When they were trying to insist that their way was better than God's way. Look at verse 16 of Isaiah 29. Shall what is formed say to Him who formed it? He did not make me. Can the pot say of the potter? He knows nothing. Look at chapter 45. Chapter 45, verse 9. Here's another warning. It says, Woe to him who says to his father, What have you begotten? Or to his mother, What have you brought to birth? If you wanted to do some research later, the message interpretation of that particular scripture of verse 9 and 10 is uh, hilarious. And so you might want to look at that later on. But essentially what this scripture is saying is, how can you save your father? Dad, what right did you have to make me? Mom, what right did you have to hold me in your belly and deliver me? It's just ridiculous to even ask the question. But yet that's exactly the type of attitude the people of Israel had towards God. They scoffed Him. They derided Him. They, they made light of Him. They belittled Him. They thought that they were wiser than God. They thought that they were stronger than God. They thought that God needed their help. But they were so wrong. And, and we are so wrong when we do the same. One of the issues that were happening in this passage in Isaiah both 29 and 45 is God had decided and prophesied, Isaiah had prophesied, he was going to use a king named Cyrus to shepherd his people. Now, if you want to look this up later, I want you to write these scriptures down. Isaiah 44, 28, 45, 1. Isaiah 44, 28, Isaiah 45, 1. That talks about Cyrus being a shepherd to the people of Israel. Cyrus was a pagan king, and there is no evidence that 
both through the passage or historically that Cyrus ever followed our God. Yet God used him as a shepherd and God used him to lead his people. It would be the equivalent today as if someone would prophesy to us, someday in America, God is going to use the communist leader of China to shepherd this people in America. Someday, if someone would prophesy, God is going to use the Shah of Iran to shepherd people who don't even believe in, in our cultural God. It, we, we wouldn't even be able to receive. We'd be like, how could that happen? And that's exactly the kind of attitude that people have. How could God use Cyrus? How could God use that? And they begin to mock the man of God. And they begin to even mock the Lord. Because in their minds, they could not imagine how God could use someone like that. And many times, God may want to move in ways we've never imagined. And God may want to do things in our lives we never anticipated. But when we are clay in His hand, that's His choice. And we're clay in His hands. We have to let Him form us the way He wants to form us. And He needs to take things out of our life. And He needs to add just what we need. Because He is the one forming us. You know, one of the things that, that if you study cults, and cults are anything, in my definition of a cult, is anything that, any religion that does not believe Jesus is the way to heaven. Any religion, religion that doesn't believe Jesus is the way to heaven, for our definition, is a cult. And they all have something in common uh, among many things, but this jumps out today. It's the power of the human individual to become like a God. The power of a human individual to create and become like a God and to be in charge and to eventually have enough power in themselves to become a God, a person with authority, a person with control. And we have to be very careful that we are not manipulated and drawn in by that. Because what people want to do, but what clay can never do is, is here's your third blank, is manipulate God. We cannot manipulate God. Can I tell you, we are not called to control God. We are not called to manipulate God. We're not called to instruct God. We are called to submit to God. We are called to obey God. We are called to... Humble ourselves before Him, not to manipulate Him. And that's why Isaiah 29, verse 16, I, I love the way this, the, the Lord spoke through Isaiah when He said this. He said, you have turned things upside down. You have turned things upside down as if the potter were thought to be the clay. And if we're not careful, our view of God can be turned upside down. Where we think we're controlling God. Where we think God has to do what we say. Where we think God has to, has to um, make our wishes come true. See, it's not that way. We pray not because God needs us to pray. We pray because we need to pray. You see, before we even ask a request, God knows what we're going to ask. But when we pray, it humbles ourselves. And it, and it lets God know, you're in charge, we're not. God is not dependent on our vocabulary. God is not dependent upon our power. God is not dependent upon us. He is totally separate from us, but He has chosen for us to be people of prayer so that we would be humble and we would submit to Him. But manipulating God, we must not do that. If you're clay, you can't manipulate God. You can't tell God what to do. You have to let Him shape you. You have to let Him be the one that's forming you and the one who is making you 
everything you need to be. Now, uh, having children that are young, I missed a lot of movies in the 2000s, the aughts as they're known. So I'm, I'm trying really hard to avoid movie illustrations from the 80s and 90s. But has anyone in here, do, do you guys remember uh, the movie Karate Kid? Joe, I know you will. All right, Karate Kid. Well, Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, he was training Daniel and he called him Danielson. He's training Danielson. And he says, I'm going to teach you, Danielson, everything about karate. So if you remember what happens, Mr. Miyagi takes Danielson and he gives him chores to do. He said, I want you to paint the fence. So Daniel starts painting the fence. He said, no, 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 no. No, paint this inside, side. Up, down, up, down, up, down. So Daniel, he, he paints the whole fence up and down, up and down. So then he takes him and did something with the floor, but I don't remember what that was. But going on, he takes him to the car and he says, it's time to wax the car. All right. So Daniel starts, Daniel's son starts waxing the car. He said, no, 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 don't. He said, wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Are y'all remembering this? Doug Bagwell, you, you awake? You remember this? Thank you, Doug. All right. So, wax on, wax off. So here it was, the frustration Daniel had. The frustration he had because, because he thought the whole time that Mr. Miyagi was just getting him to do chores. He said, Mr. Miyagi's just getting me to do his stuff. But the whole time, the truth was this. He wasn't just getting Daniel's son to do his chores. He was training Daniel's son. Because you all remember what happens, right? right? The fight happens and it's like, up, down, wax on, wax off, Whew, all that stuff. <laughs> I think I might have just pulled my hamstring there. but uh, Wow. But all this stuff that the whole time Daniel's son thought that he was... He was he was just doing his chores. He was actually being trained. He wasn't doing Mr. Miyagi's chores. He was being trained. You know, the same way with you and I sometimes. We think that we're doing God such a favor. Oh, God, we love you so much. Sure, God, we'll serve in the parking lot. And we'll volunteer for the nursery. And we'll give our 10% because we are building your church, God. We are building the church. And because we want to build the church, we're going to make all these sacrifices for you, God. And so here it is. Another week on the nursery schedule. Wax on, wax off. Another time the parking lot crew paint up, paint down. Lead another 242 group. We're helping you out, God. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. We're not building God's church. He's building us. He's training us. He is getting us the character that we need to be the people because we are clay in his hands and i want you to write this down because as clay in his hands here's what he's doing he is we will be formed and changed by god as clay we will be formed and changed by god god wants us to submit god wants us to submit to who he is that's what he's about he wants us to be the type of people he can shape and he can instruct and he can use. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 18. Because Jeremiah 18 is a tremendous scripture. We're going to look at verse 1 through 4. That stays with this theme that we truly are clay in his hands as he is molding and shaping us. This is the word. This is starting in verse 1 of Jeremiah 18. This is the word that God came, that word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house. And there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter 
transformed it into another pot. Now look at this phrase. Shaping it as seen best to him. Shaping it as seen best to him. Can I just tell you that it's not what you want and it's not what you desire. It is what God wants to do through you. When he's shaping you. When you begin to lay down your self-interest and instead say, God, I am being shaped and I'm being molded by you. I'm letting, letting you use me for whatever purpose you see necessary. See, we are so foolish when we think we have so much control over our lives. As people of God, we give up control. He is the control. And He shapes us and forms us to the people we want. And you know what happens? When that begins to happen, all of a sudden, our desires and our will begins to line up with the potter's desire and the potter's will. And He makes us exactly what He wants us to be. I want us to read on in verse 4. But the pot He was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Look at verse 6. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like a clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Can you just hear... God, the passion in God asking that question through the prophet Jeremiah. Look at verse 6 again. Like clay, and it's, it start with the beginning of 6. Oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does? When Dr. Galden was here in December, he gave a, a message that I've just been meditating on that said, if, that's it, if, if you will obey me, if you will do what I say, and as a father, and a husband, and as a pastor. I've been thinking about that a lot. If we do what God wants us to do, if we submit, if we allow His work in our lives, He has something in mind we can never imagine. And He says it here, Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. One of the things I want you to imagine this week and in the coming days is instead of living your life in this self-determination where you're always confused and you're always wondering, what's God's will? What am I supposed to do? Why don't you just rest in the fact that He's the potter, you're the clay, and He's taking the clay and He's shaping you and He's removing things from your life that need to be removed and He's adding just the right amount of the clay and forming it and shaping it for His purpose, for what He wants to do. We don't have a right to question that. We don't have a right to talk bad about bad to God. Instead, we must submit. Say, Lord, shape me and do who you want me to be. Would you stand with me? This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.